This is the All Sports Podcast devoted to your favorite teams in North Texas. Welcome to Ballsy, a production of the Dallas Morning News and Sports Day. Our weekly show is proudly hosted. Okay, strike that. Our show is hosted by Kevin Sherrington, Evan Grant, and myself. I'm David Moore, and who knows, maybe we'll have a special guest or two along the way. In this episode, we'll be talking about the Texas Rangers. Catch other episodes by subscribing to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. We're also on social media. Just search Ballsy Podcast on Facebook and Twitter, and you'll be notified of the latest episode. Don't forget, it's Ballsy with a Z. Are you ready, sports fans? Ballsy starts now. Hello, everybody. Welcome into Ballsy, the Sports Day DFW Dallas Morning News Sports Podcast. I am Kevin Sherrington, and we've got a full house today. We've got David Moore. We've got Evan Grant all here in the studio. It's like old home week here, isn't it, boys? Old home being the yeah, old, old being the operative word there. <laughs> Uh, I prefer middle age myself. You're way past. You'd it. prefer it. See, here's, you were. I would prefer it born, as well. But you were born like 28 or 29. I and then I, it was all downhill from there. I am still in America's favorite target demographic. What is that? For another much longer, huh? For, For another, another year. year? Yeah. <laughs> How are you going to live that out? And then what? Hopefully, I'll live it out. Um, yeah. Then, then after that, I give you a 50-50 shot. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the target demographic, which we're trying to reach here with all your references to like. Uh, Les Brown and the Band of Renown. Well, did yeah. It, did, I don't believe I've written Les Brown, but go ahead. Well, but you've written like about, you know, the original production of To Kill a Mockingbird and favorite books of yours like Common Sense. Well, just because To Kill a Mockingbird is like a play now and a, and a smash play didn't, wouldn't be any reason to bring it up. Well, but it was a movie in 1948. In, 1962. Dante's in black and, I mean, it was in black and white. They didn't oh, even have high depth. There's always a good argument. Forget about 4K. They didn't even have high depth. We forget about Roma, which was in black and white as well. Never mind. Okay. Okay. See, here's the thing. You don't want to get in this kind of argument with me because I will continually, you know, bat you back. I'm the Serge Ibaka to your Muggsy Bogues. Okay, your retort. <laughs> he doesn't have one. So anyway, I don't. I don't think they played at the same time. <laughs> it doesn't matter. If they, I think it yes, was they, Dikembe Mutombo and Muggsy Bogues. Well, it might have been. Yeah. Okay, all right. Okay. Go ahead. Okay, that's good enough. Get on with your stick. Oh, let's go here. So, so the Rangers are back from their little road trip. Uh, they they had a they had a fine time out there. They were all over the map. <laughs> Did they? <laughs> well, they were all over the map. One minute they're losing, the next minute they're they're killing Seattle. Uh, we had uh, what was the final combined score of those last two games? Twenty nine to two. Twenty nine to two in the last two games of that yeah. series. And the um, record over the road trip was two and five. Two and five. Yes. Yeah, it was. I mean, it wasn't a good start to the road trip, and I think by uh, by third or fourth game, uh, this team realized it had some issues on the road. Um, and it's been a continual problem over the last couple of years. And um, I, I think they they tried to address it. Uh, I think the biggest thing in that is, I mean, it sounds simple, but score first and, and put a, quick, a, 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 a crooked number on the board because if you do that, then that offense can settle in and be patient again and, and, and the pitching staff can afford to 
to be a little bit more aggressive. And if it makes a mistake here or there, it, it can survive. But if, if things happen the other way around, if you're not able to get out in front on the road um, and with this pitching staff, all of a sudden the offense starts pressing and then the pitching staff feels like it has to make perfect pitches and it's just a recipe for, for disaster. Okay. Uh, speaking of recipes for disaster, actually we're not speaking of that. But uh, the, the thing that struck me on this road trip was <laughs> – Good segue. Good segue. The the An odd one. The uh, the thing that struck me on this road trip was that uh, Mike Miner and Lance Lynn coming up so big at the end of it, um, and and kind of goes back to this whole issue. And, and well, uh, before we get to that, it was interesting to me, and you wrote about this. Uh, if know, it's interesting, I write about. Yeah, it. Not, not really. Uh, establishing the fastball early. That whole thing. You know. The, yeah, Chris Woodward's made that point a couple times. Go ahead. I'm sorry. But the but the. That's that's old baseball, right? I mean, you know, the, what we've heard for forever, right? Is go out well, got to establish fastball. Fastball is the most important pitch, and fastball command is exceptionally important. Sure, there's there's no doubt about that. Sure, but you can't just go out there and say, okay, I'm just going to throw a fastball uh, down the middle and let guys know I'm going to throw strikes with the fastball. That's not how it works anymore. Guy, if if you do that, guys are going to crush early pitches. Well, you're not ever going to throw it down the middle, but it, but the, the point is, is that is that to me, if you've got secondary, look. As we know, you know you're going to go through the lineup several times, hopefully, uh, in a start, and you're going to use different things. You're not going to use your full arsenal the first first time through uh, because you're saving something for the second time to give a different look to hitters uh, each time they come up. But yeah, I'm a I'm a big believer here. If you if you've got if you've got good command with your secondary pitches, well, why not use them? Well, and and I would I would agree with you on that, but I would also disagree with you on the first part of that is. I do think right now it behooves guys to kind of show as much of their arsenal as they can early on because if you can put that in a guy's head that you might get a fastball, you might get a curveball, you might get a, a changeup, now a guy comes up there the second and third time and he doesn't know what to expect. I and, think that's, that's possible. And, and yeah. that, is, that is the point here. You know, Miner, to your point, what, what I wrote was that Miner threw at least 15 um, knuckle curves, 15 sliders, and 15 change-ups. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a higher number of each to go along with the force, the forcing fastball, which is an elite pitch for him. Um, Lance Lynn, who was a guy who throughout his career has thrown 77% fastballs, he threw a lot more breaking balls and, and change-ups than, than he previously had. I think his fastball percentage in that game was 57%. And the idea was... Let's make we can throw these pitches for strikes. Let's throw these pitches for strikes too, and then all of a sudden, when we do come back to our fastball, it's going to make that play a little bit more effective. So you and Lance uh, talked about that a lot about the uh, pitch selection. Yes, I did. I, I asked him about that, <laughs> and what did he say? He said, "I pitch with what I have that day." <laughs> He's not a real forthcoming sort when it comes to um, no. talking about pitching or He's his not. job. Um, but to each his own, and I mean, look, this is a guy who's statistically very straightforward he's always been a fastball heavy guy and when you see the numbers break off the way they did that game um it's it's clearly you know worth noting whether whether he wants to discuss it or not and you know in his in his mind not talking pitching philosophy is not giving away any advantages to the hitters i, yeah. I understand this this changes on the the outing and and everything else and who you're facing but in general what is what percentage of your elite pitch should you use? You know what I'm saying? How do you mix it up? Do, do you go 65% well, you know, on your elite pitch? And 60 then mix to in the 65% other? fastball, you know, and then yeah. you mix in secondary pitches about 35% of the time. Well, I think it would depend, too, on the guy. It's like a, a guy like you, Darvish, who throws like 
twelve pitches, you know, then he's he's going to sure. water that down more. But, and if all, you, but if you're a typical, but you don't want to stray too far from no. your elite pitch either. You don't want to. Oh no, you don't. Although, you don't want to get beat with your secondary pitch. That's although for sure. I will say this, and and this is again some some degree of of kind of the idea of pitching backwards, where you you don't mm-hmm. pitch to your strength, but you pitch to take away guys' strengths. Um, Chris Woodward mentioned. He said it's, you know, in, in some ways it's kind of like the Bill Belichick aspect of football. You know, he, he used Belichick as an example. We're going to take away your strength. If Seattle is, Seattle, you know, with the number of home runs that they've hit this year, they crush fastballs. So if you serve them up a steady dose yeah. of fastballs, you're going to get hurt. Um, but if you can get them thinking, well, he might be throwing, you know, he might be throwing a, a, a slider here, or he might be throwing a changeup. It might keep you behind just enough to keep you from from getting solid contact. So I, I think that percentage is changing. Um, I, I would think in general, you know, probably a 65-35% mix or, or 60-40, depending mm-hmm. on the pitcher. But again, depending on the team and that you're facing, you're going to change that some. And I think now, uh, just overall, the philosophy is changing where – Look, if you if you're throwing fifty percent fastballs uh, and you can throw fifty percent of two or three other pitches, all of a sudden you've got weapons to get through that lineup a third time because they don't know what's coming each time they come to the play. You know, and you have philosophy of staffs too. Some staffs will say, "No, this is what we do well. Right. We're going to do this." Other staffs will say, "Well, no, we can let's see what their strengths are, what we want to do, and we're going to do it that way." And some, you know. I think some of that has to do with what kind of, but if you're a dominant fast, if, you, if you've got starters sure. throwing in the upper nineties, then absolutely. And that's what you're going to do. Sure. But the Rangers don't have that. So, so it's like a little, well, I'm, you know, I mean, miners are a 95 mile an hour fastball guy with, he is. you know, real high spin. So he's got good, good but, movement. on. But him. he has good command of his other pitches. Yes. Well, and you know, at some point fastball hitters are going to hit fastball. Sure. Right. So, I mean, I would give an example here of, of my, of my son's team. They have a, they have a boy on his team. Uh, this is a man in college, a man, a young man on this team. And he's uh and he's an outfielder. He's a, he's a, but he throws a lot of junk too. And so what they'll do is they're, if you know, we don't, this is D three, there are no dominating pitchers in D three. So uh, they, they bring this kid in and he throws a lot of junk. He throws sidearm and then, and they bring, and they bring him in really sometimes when we play teams, when we're out of our league and we're playing a division two team, you know, a small division one team, you know, and you bring him in because he's just throwing so much junk, and it's hard for these fastball hitters. All of these teams, even in D three, have guys who just jump all over fastballs. And so, if you don't have a, if you're not a dominant kind of pitcher, then you need to go to secondary stuff. And that, and this guy can get away with it sometimes, and he can get through a lineup. And and we we did that when we went to East Texas and played them, and we he was doing great until he finally lost it in about the fifth or sixth inning. We brought in a, 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 a our next kid who was a fastball hitter, and they hit three home runs in a row off him. You know, so mm-hmm. that's that's what happens, and that's why I. I so believe, they need to cut that kid. They need to, yeah, yeah, he's out. But that's uh, what I'm getting at when you're when you're building mm-hmm. a staff, which they are now. Do you adhere to your overriding philosophy of how you want that staff to be built, or do you recognize the realities of where you are? Oh, I think does, it's. Does that make, I mean, yeah, that's, I that's think what it I'm, always what comes at, down to look. You've got you it, it comes have to down to have some degree of pliability, right? Sure. Sure. Um, Saying, and that's built in. I accept that, but right. you still have an overriding philosophy. Whether you want to be, whether you want to impose your will, or whether you want to take on whatever the other team can do and answer it in a way that you think is to your benefit. And I think if I, I think if I was trying to sum these this thing up right now, especially with 
you know, you've got Miner and Lynn at the top of the rotation, and mm-hmm. really, who knows what else? After right. That. Yeah. Um, the idea is, let's take the information we get about your strengths. Let's take the information we get about the opposing strengths, and let's create a a day to day kind of um, approach to mm-hmm. to opposing hitters. Because I think, that, I think that's what the Astros do. Um, in, in large respects, they do. But the Astros also have a couple of guys. You know, they they have guys with elite stuff from well, not one through five, but they've got multiple guys with elite stuff. Um, but well, you look at Verlander, and Verlander is much more now throwing breaking pitches than he is. Well, he's at the, the end of his career, too. He still can dial up 96 he, and 97. He always could. Right. At the end of a game, he could even do that. Right. But I don't but think I, he does it consistently. But I think guys are seeing that because you you can't just live with one pitch anymore. You just can't. You know, it used to be Oral Hershiser used to talk about, and this was a ages-old philosophy, was, you know, you compete with one pitch, you, can, you, you have a chance to win with two pitches, you have a chance to dominate with three, um, and now I think you really you have to have two pitches to to be able to to compete. Compete, yeah. Speaking of Garrett Cole, I've I've wondered about this for a while. You know, wait, the, wait, wait excuse you me. You brought up Garrett Cole. <laughs> it, well, it was inferred when I mentioned the Astros rotation. Implied, we would infer that. You would imply it. Right. Uh, is that uh, and for the Pirates, he was he was. Uh, 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 tantalizing. <laughs> I like that. He was a tantalizing pitcher, but not the pitcher he became with the Astros. So, what do we think maybe happened with the Astros? That- well, I mean, I think everybody believes that the Astros, you know, have are industry leaders in applying analytics and and finding finding ways to make pitches most effective. Um, so that that's to the point. Is that-, that was the deal with Charlie Morton? That's been yeah. the deal with with Garrett Cole um, and. The same, you know, I think the same thing applies. Let's take your strengths, let's magnify them, let's take their weaknesses and and exploit them. Yeah. So that's, that's significant. That was profound. Wasn't yeah, it really was good. So give that to Jason Gear. <laughs> yeah. It is the so so the point is is that I'm wondering if we are seeing in any way with the Rangers now how analytics are having an impact, perhaps even on their record. Well, I I think, you know, when I talked to Miner the other day, I asked him if this was specifically analytically driven. And and I think that it, at that point, it, I don't know if, you know, it was in post-game conversations when guys are out the door, it's it's a little bit hard to have something deep. But he has said that he he has um more uh accepted the information that was given to him. Um and, he was feeling that way more so this year. Uh, th- this was going back to spring training. Yeah. Oh, okay. I think yeah. I think he felt like, um, yeah, there was there was more to to learn. Um, I I think that now he is also just kind of feeling some of these pitches, and and so he's he's more confident with them. You know, it mm-hmm. still comes down to that. You can give a guy all the information in the world, yeah. but if he's not confident in throwing the pitches, yeah, you know, that, that's but Miner now knows. You know, there he's going to get. He's going to get a longer leash. He knows that there that he is at at the top of the staff, and I think that that plays into it as well. Yeah. Well, that, that's to me that the the difference that uh, that Chris Woodward has to make is that, uh, and it's you know, it's not just Chris Woodward. Obviously, it's coming from John Daniels and the front office and the analytics department. Is that uh, 
um, you know, we're going to start winning this way. You know, I was I was looking at, at a list yesterday uh, that had the top 300 players in baseballs on ESPN's website. And, uh, boy, you had to go way down before you found a Ranger. You know, and that was Elvis. Uh, he was their, the first player mentioned. And and what it uh, what it told me was that you know there's some good players that are coming up there there's some good young players but there's also some good young players everywhere else sure. and and you look at these guys and look at and see what dynamic players they are you know a Fernando Tatis or, or a, a, a new Vlad Guerrero I like to just call him that a new Vlad uh, is, is that these are guys who are just going to dominate these are these are big time players. The Rangers don't have any of those players right now. They have some good players, and you can win with good players, but you're going to have to uh, uh, make up for the, the deficit some other way. And you're going to have to make – to me, you make up for that deficit by being smarter, playing smarter, doing smarter things. It's uh, the only way you can. Looking I mean, at, the margin of error is so much It, it is. And, and so, and so this, that's what I want to see from this team this year is I think the record's intriguing, the fact that they're over 500. That's great. Uh, who who would have thought that at this point? Um, and – uh, I, I think that they are showing that they can do certain things, and that's what's more interesting to me about this team. I want to find out how are they going to be different this year, not only just the progress that these guys make, but how are, your approach to the game from an organizational standpoint, how is that going to be different and how is it going to influence the players? The hard thing, the hard thing to get out of that is going to be how do you gauge that, right? Because we still gauge based on results. We sure. still measure based on results, and they can go up there. Um, you know, Chris Woodward's point all all week had been, I think our guys are going up there with the same approach. Yeah, um, and no more Mazzara's approach. No more no more Mazzara. When I talked to him at the at the outset of the road trip, was I've been feeling good at the plate. I you know I've always thought I was tough, but this is going to make me tougher because I'm sticking with the approach, even though I'm I'm not having results. Um, and then you look at the end of the week, he's had a great week. So um, all of a sudden we say, yeah, the, the sticking with the approach worked. And then you look at Joey Gallo and you say, well, this week he didn't have a good week. Is, you know, is, is he getting away from the approach? Um, so we always end up basing on results. But I do think that that is the overriding mission for this team this year is uh, adherence to – a a a, a sh- I don't want to say stronger preparation, but adherence to a preparation plan, um, adherence to an approach in the game, uh, and learning by some trial and error that hey, you know, it's okay if you don't have results here. Uh, we expect that over the course of the season, if you do adhere to this, you will have results, and they will be better results than what you would do if you were constantly tinkering around or changing philosophy or going back to what felt quote unquote comfortable. Well, I think that they, at least it seems to me, they are getting results. The fact that they're over 500, they have won some games. You go out there and you, I, you know, there, there've been some negative things too. I don't want to, I don't want to. No, no, I don't want to oversell any of that either. Right. But, but I'm, what I'm saying is that whether it's true or not, if if you're a little on the upside right now, it's easier for these players to buy in, especially the young guys. If they if they look at it and go, "Hey, well, we're winning, and yeah. maybe this has something to do with it," maybe maybe I'm more willing to buy into this now than if well we come out and, and we're instead of being twelve and, and ten or whatever it is. And Chris Woodward said on the day before the season opened, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, 
approach, approach, approach. It's about approach. It's about process. But, hey, it would really be great if for Joey Gallo, for his confidence, if he got some results. Well, he's had some results, and I think that does reaffirm his commitment to that process and doesn't make him waver. So, yeah, I think that's important. I, um, When I went back and looked at my schedule analysis for this year, I had them 15 and 14 at the end of April. Um, You're close. Well, I mean, they'd have a shot to do that if they hadn't had that game rained out against Oakland. So I yeah. blame God for this. Wow. Um, wow. We changed the name of the, off, the podcast to Blaming off God. Some high holy days and you're doing this. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Soon as they're over, wow. um, jump in. That's and- right. Uh, but I, I, they, they, my point on this is they've done what they needed to do. The reason I picked them 15 and 14 is I thought there would be some era of good feelings going into the season. Mm-hmm. I thought that with, with a heavy home schedule early on, there were some things that they could take advantage of, and, and they have. And, I, you know, I think that the idea now is I, in May you still have something of a favorable schedule. Mm-hmm. It gets much tougher in June and July, but if you build up a little bit of, of uh, momentum, in, May, in April and May, and you get to a place where you actually believe in the process and believe in yourselves, then maybe you do start to overachieve a little bit. Yeah. All right, so I watched uh, a little bit of Jose Leclerc, uh, and uh, it wasn't great. It's still concerning. Yeah, it is. It, it, it is, and I mean, you know, it's the, I, I, the fortunate thing, I guess, for the Rangers is, look, they're, they are um, – Committed to this, to committed to him. Yeah. That uh, despite his rough April, they're sitting where they are, and they have the ability to to continue to try and, and, and get it, it fixed. But there's clearly um, – he's always been erratic with the fastball, but clearly he's much more scattered with the fastball than he has. Mm-hmm. And I also wonder, as good as the, the, the slider change-up mix is that – that we've come to call a slambio, which is change up. Cambio is change up in Spanish. Sla- slider. So wow. slambio. So uh, as good as that pitch is, you know, when you start to have um, a track record, guys start to recognize a little bit more. And right. they, you know, even if it looks like a strike coming out of the hand, they may hold up just a little bit longer to wait for that movement. So, you know he's going to have to have better command with the fastball, um, in, in in order to make that that the secondary pitch as as dominant as it can be, continue to work. So I, I was I was interested after that game and and uh, of course this, they brought him in in the blowout and uh, just to get him a little work. Uh, and uh, I was interested in his reaction after and he had a big smile on his face. So did you get the impression that he is handling all this okay? Is it, is it working on him very much, or what? What do you think mentally? I, you know, I I think that this is a, a the word I always come back to is very earnest. Um, I think he's a very earnest kid. I think that um, he's worked real hard to get where he's at. Uh, I don't know uh, how much the 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 fastball command, the lack of fastball command, is worn on him. Um, but I think it's taken some degree of a toll. Um, he, he wants to he wants to contribute every time he goes out, and whenever he you know creates a jam or or doesn't get the job done, I, I think it it bothers him. And then he wants to go out there the next day and get it done. You just hope that that you don't have to keep like going to the situation where we want to get him out there the next day, 
because he just had a, a flub and we want to get him out there the next day so he can kind of recover. And then the kid is still like in his head spinning through, I got to do better. I got to do better. Um, he, he's got to hit a streak here where it just starts to come, mm-hmm. you know? So uh, I want to revisit a topic we talked about uh, a little bit last week, uh, and that is the the Mike Miner question. Uh, if Mike Miner is – he had a little rough – he and, and Lance Lynn both had a rough start on the road trip, but they also both finished very well uh, on that road trip. Um, do you want to think a little bit more about about the trade value of Mike Miner and the possibilities of, uh, of keeping him? Well, I, you know, that was, again, to go back to what – what I wrote off of his start, you know, it's. I just want to say one thing here. Is it okay for you to say yes, something you write about? It, if it I is. bring it up, it's a bad thing. It's, okay. um, it's fine. Uh, it, it creates multiple avenues for the Rangers to pursue. Mm-hmm. Um, if they feel like their rebuild is ahead of schedule. Okay. Yeah. If they feel that way, then all of a sudden, and I think we talked a little bit about this last week, do you say, well, let's see if we could, uh, this guy has become an elite pitcher. We made a good investment. Let's extend that by a year or two and and get him committed so that as he starts to to ebb, uh, he will still be a, a, a contributing pitcher and, and our window will be, you know, extended. Um, I'm not sure how fast the ebb is on a left-handed pitcher. He does throw hard. He does throw hard. And, I, you know, we used the, the example of Al Leiter last week. Um, but the other part of it is now all of a sudden, look, he is pitching like an elite pitcher. And there are teams that were interested all winter and that they, they remain interested. And if the season around them does start to crumble in June or July, you can demand a higher return for him and leverage that. And if you don't get it, then you sit back and you just say, we'll let it play out. It's not like – uh, I just don't feel I, – I think fans want to say if you're rebuilding, then trade everybody. Right. And if you're not rebuilding, then hold on to everybody. And and, and that's just not the way it is. I mean, you it, it, it comes down to value. If somebody comes to you with great value, then if you're the Rangers at this particular point in time, it's something you have to consider. But I also think that you, you say, could this guy – play a part in future success here too. And how many spots do you have to fill in your rotation? Correct. Is the other. You can say, right. well, yeah, what can we get for this guy? But then because realistically going into next year, how many spots do you have to fill in the rotation? Well, because right now they have two spots for the 2020 rotation. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And they're, they're expecting that, that Taylor Hearn or Joe Palumbo or Jonathan Hernandez or Brock Burke will be in the two, in the 2020 rotation Maybe more than one of those, but yeah, I mean, right now you've got two guys in Minor and Lynn who are signed through through twenty twenty. So, um, if you think you're ahead of schedule, then it may it behooves you to to hold on to that. Yeah, well, I think it's to me it's even more than that though because let's look at it this way: this is an organization that has been looking for pitching since you know. 2000, oh, 1972. Yeah, I was going to ask. So, anyway, if let's say let's say that Mike Miner has really made it back now, because you know the, he was a high level you know yeah. pitcher for the for the Braves. You know this was not a guy who's surprising anybody. He he was got he got derailed by Tommy John surgery, and and then he's making a comeback from that. He's not 
piled up a lot of innings on you know he's a left-hander generally speaking these guys came up through a system that recognizes good pitching. absolutely so these yeah. are guys who who pitch longer usually into their careers and, and he's had this surgery now i don't know you know sometimes guys after they've had it they do flame out uh but but we'll see i'm just saying if i'm john daniels even if i were able to command some prospects that i really like we've we've seen what happens to prospects right mm-hmm. nothing you know, uh, it doesn't mean because this guy was a high prospect in somebody else's system that he's going to pan out for you or anybody else. And then, but Mike Miner is a guy who is having success, big time success for a, for a team right now that's, that's not playing very well overall. But he's but he's pitching really really well. If you trade him to somebody else and he goes on to have three or four or five really good years for somebody else, how are you going to live with that and with your fans? I'd rather. To me, make the mistake. You know, there's still time to make this decision. I'm just saying this is something percolating. I'd rather make the mistake, the mistake of extending him and having to pay him a little bit when he's not so good and, and to keep him than to risk the possibility that I trade him to somebody else. He pitches really well there, and then the guys that we got for him, nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, because, you know, people are – if you've got – let's look at it this way. If you've got a, a, a Walker Bueller you know, sitting there. That's why the Rangers couldn't get him from the Dodgers because the Dodgers think he's a, a top-end prospect. He's a one or a two, you know. That's why they didn't trade him for, for you, Darvish. Uh, you know, teams don't want to give up those kind of guys. Mm-hmm. They're young and they're really promising. So the guy you're going to get back for a Mike Miner, to me, is going to be a three or a four. Uh, or, and you're, and you're going to get maybe a couple of prospects like that. And that's enticing because you need to fill out a rotation, yeah. right? And I get that. And you're throwing numbers at it, and you go, well, if we get two to three here, then if one hits, then Yes, there, there's no question yeah. about No question numbers. about that. But yeah. the, the thing is, it is really hard to get a one or a two. Right. You know, and, and once you have But let me, those, let me ask you this. Hard if to you, if you got to – and I, this is a crazy thought, but it just entered my mind yesterday, is if you got to a point in the season where um, Miner was pitching really, really well – and the Braves came to you and said, let's talk about a package of Miner and LeClerc because the Braves, you know, are expected to contend this year. They right. could use a starter. They definitely need a reliever. LeClerc is still attractive even with, with the struggles he's had. And the Braves say, we will talk to you about Christian Pache in that deal, their top prospect, center fielder, you know, crushing the ball at double A right now. Is that that's the kind of conversation you all of a sudden are willing to have? You, you would, except uh, why am I going to give up a top end pitcher for another center fielder? Um, I, I know the guy's a great prospect. Uh, I, I get because it. I think that guy is ready. I, I, I mean, I'm just using this as an example, right? That guy might be ready to play in the big leagues this year. Mm-hmm. There's still no. There's I, I I think there are some some profiles that say Leody Tavares, one of the Rangers' top center field prospects is more a number four than he is a regular everyday center fielder. Mm-hmm. Bubba Thompson is at Class A. Um, uh, Julio Pablo Martinez is at Class A. Here's why. If you've got the ability to go out and get a young, ready-to-play superstar at the age of 20, then you have so to So you're saying this is an Edison Volquez, mm-hmm. Josh Hamilton kind of deal? Um, in so, I mean – I think it's a crazy idea. I'm just, you know. No, I, I get what you're saying, and I see it. I'm just saying. I'm just saying, for, for me, what I'm saying is if you're talking about real value, now if you get a potential franchise player who's ready to who's ready to come and you would have under control for the next year, six years, then all of a sudden that's the kind of value you're talking about. You know, I, as much as 
as much as I like the the return the Rangers got for for Keone Kella last year in in Taylor Hearn and Shirt and Apostle, it's not necessarily you know um, they're not franchise changing guys per se. I no. think I think mm-hmm. Taylor Taylor um, uh, projects as a middle of the rotation starter or a potential back of the of the uh, bullpen type reliever. But you're not talking about a number one. You're not talking mm-hmm. about an apostle. You know, again, as a, as a class A player, he's really shown well. He did in, show well in spring training. Um, maybe he does become that uh, a, a franchise type player. But you're not talking mm-hmm. about a guy who you think is um, right now ready to go out and and be an an everyday uh, a league average or better center fielder. Well, the, 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 it's an interesting concept. You know, the, the, this goes way back in baseball. Do you trade a starting pitcher for a position player? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. to me, and that to me, that's the only thing that's that's equal, equivalent on the Hamilton Volquez. You know, there was so much baggage with Josh at that. Oh, point sure, in time. sure, there were. And and Volquez had been in the big leagues and wasn't a number one starter. But yeah, I mean, there's and he, you're 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 trading a pitching prospect for for an outfielder. Yes, yeah, so, but in, in that particular trade, Volquez did turn out pretty good. You know, uh, before he got hurt, he was a good pitcher. It's a great trade for both teams. It was a great trade for both teams, but Josh Hamilton was a difference maker. You know, mm-hmm, and that's, that's right. the thing. You'd have to believe that this kid was going to be a difference maker. Right. I mean, they don't go to the World Series without Josh Hamilton. All right, that's going to do it for our Rangers podcast for today. We never even got into the Taylor Hearn discussion. I know we didn't. I don't even know if I want to talk about it. You know, yeah, it was. It was it'll be the same next week. <laughs> yeah, it'll be the same. You're right. <laughs> I'll just say this: it was unfortunate. I thought. I. I. I Thought it was a mistake to call him up at the time that they did. Yeah, but I will say this: the fact that he's hurt at least explains the lack of velocity and the lack of command and and all the other issues that he had in the first inning, and the fact that he's not, according to the Rangers, he's not hurt seriously. That this will only put him out maybe about six weeks uh, is also a sigh of relief. And and I do think that if there was anybody. If there's anybody who is going to be able to handle that kind of embarrassment just on a performance level, when Taylor Hearn steps up in front of you and he says, "Listen, I've, I've there's a quote from Nelson Mandela." He's <laughs> quoting love, Nelson Mandela, and, and I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I literally, I stood there and I listened to it and I heard it and I said, um, "Again, who are you quoting, Taylor?" <laughs> and he said, "Yeah, it's Nelson Mandela," and I was like, "Okay," um, but you know, the quote was. I don't lose. I either win or I learn. And I think he really believes that. And I think that that the Rangers did feel like even if he had a bad outing, uh, he'd be able to take something from it. I just don't know that they ever thought that he'd have that bad. Went beyond bad. Yes. Let me ask you this one last thing about Taylor Hearn. Then do do we have? So when did he get hurt? Was he hurt in the bullpen? Was he hurt when he came up? Was it, did he get hurt when he was went out on the mound? I mean, what what happened? I, he said he had great stuff in the bullpen, right. and then on the mound it just didn't translate. But he never said anything to anybody that his elbow was hurting until uh, clearly until after he came out of the game because there there wasn't much time for him to say it no. at any other point. So no. um, a little bit of the, you know he had been throwing ninety six the week before. Right. Yeah. Very very crazy. <laughs> A little bit of Ranger luck is what we call that. You normally you would call that buzzard luck, you know. I call it Ranger <laughs> luck. You know, that's how they are with pitchers. Uh, it's just like a death sentence sometimes. Seems like anyway. 
All right, everybody, that's our Rangers podcast. Uh, we're also going to have a little uh, smorgasbord podcast with Chuck Carlton, who's out at the uh, Big 12 meetings. We're going to talk a little hockey with him, a little Big 12 basketball, a little college basketball, a little college football, a little bit of everything with Chuck. And then we'll have a Cowboys podcast where we'll talk about that old draft. So from everybody in here to everybody out there, see you. Thanks for listening to the Rangers Ballsy Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our weekly episodes on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search the Ballsy with a Z podcast. Until next time, sports fans, we'll see you.